Welcome to Art Glider. Join your favorite art curators as we chat with all kinds of people in the art, culture, and NFT space. Welcome to season two of Art Glider, the light bulb moment. We chat to creative pioneers about their light bulb moments. We discover what brought up their creative epiphanies and how they followed through to get where they are today. The light bulb moment provides you with practical tips to work towards your own light bulb moment. Before we begin, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we're recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today we're joined by Alice McAuliffe to hear what has lit up her journey as an art maker and curator. Alice is a creative producer who has worked all over the art sector with 20 years of experience in the art and culture sector. She's undertaken projects of a variety of institutions, galleries and grassroots organisation in Australia and internationally. Often outside of the gallery context, her work brings art, artists and people together in a creative process. Alice currently works as an art curator at the St Vincent Health Network, in Sydney, Australia. Alice, welcome to the light bulb moment. So I'd like to know what your light bulb moment was. It's a it's a tricky question because I think there's so many moments in life that are a bit light bulby. Um, I was thinking actually, it, it's, it's such a silly sort of time actually to, to bring this up, but I, I lived in Italy for five years and I had, before going there, I'd always studied contemporary art, you know, living in Australia and I was just so into contemporary art. And then I went and was living in Florence and I got a job as a tour guide and um, had to do a deep dive into medieval and Renaissance art. And one of the main questions that people kept on asking me is, why were there so many geniuses here? And um, and that question is, you know, is problematic in so many ways. But moving past that, I actually had to give a, a coherent answer to these people. And so it really made me think, why why was it that the Florence became this site for so many so many brilliant people, you know, so, such a kind of a hotbed of um, education and culture that actually end up changing the Western world. How does that happen? And it was through doing all this research that I came and started understanding that it came from two ends of society. So St. So Francis of Assisi was, was sort of working with the poor, working with the people in the churches. So a, a shift in education happened on that level. But also there was Cosimo de Medici, who was arguably the richest man in the world living in Florence. And he organised for all these platonic scho- um, scholars and people to come and live in this place. So you sort of had this, this intense kind of input of education at a kind of a really grassroots mass um, social level, but also in this really high-end intellectual level. And that, oh, I mean, you might have Renaissance scholars ringing up and telling me that I'm absolutely wrong, but for me that was the kind of the, 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 the what brought that space together to be to be this hotbed of of cultural education and intellectual practice, which was really fascinating for me to think about how choices by different people in society, whether you're incredibly wealthy or incredibly poor or have power or don't have power, the choices of what you support in your life can actually change society around you. And that was pretty important to recognise that. 
Oh, that's incredible. And I didn't actually, I, I've, I've actually studied Renaissance because I studied art history, but I didn't, I'm not on that sort of level that you have. So that's, that's fantastic. And that's just made my mind go, oh, well, how could we bring that into our society today? You know, from, you know, 600 years later. And if you, if you, if you could give any advice to yourself after your light bulb moment, what would that be? After the light bulb moment. Yeah, like I, I write down all my moments that I have in like just in my phone just so I can keep them. Do you, is there, if, if when you are having these moments, do you, you know, I suppose after you learnt all this, I suppose the great thing was that you were a tour guide, I guess, because you went back in and you were telling people and you're learning and I'm sure that there was a lot of people talking back to you the, and then there was probably more questions that came out of that. But if or if if you are if you always feel like you are having these moments, do you you ha, how do you process them and how do you um, filter them and and nourish them? I think I think for that one particular, you're right that being a tour guide is really nice. It's a nice way to learn because you learn something through reading and then you have to articulate it. It's the best way to kind of really learn something when you have to tell other people about it. But for that one, I think it actually was so fundamental to me that it just has shifted my my thinking of my own purpose in life. You know, I'm I'm really interested in, um, while I appreciate arts in galleries and museums and, you know, I've always always visited those places, it started me really understanding the power of cultural practice in broader institutional spaces, you know, like like the church back then, you know, but in education spaces in in a contemporary context. So I think for me, it really just honed in on the way that I could utilise arts to create a more equitable world, to make the world that I want to live in, you know, and that's all you can really do is try and make the world you want to live in. Um, and for me, that's really important. So I guess I've just, from then, I've been really conscious of working in institutions that I believe um, practice what they preach, you know, and they don't use arts as a Band-Aid because we see that so often, you know, that, that the Band-Aid use of arts, that if you're going to have... a um, Aboriginal art, for instance, in the foyer or invest in that, that you actually have really good um, Aboriginal policy, Aboriginal health policy and improvement policies, Um, that sort of thing. So I think it's just really about being a bit more conscious of not just working anywhere or or doing whatever I want, but actually really being conscious of the places that I choose to work in. Mm. I love that. And you're so right, because it's also your values as well as, you know, their values and you making sure that you're working. And I have to, I, I totally agree with you. I'd love to um, love to understand a bit about your work you do at St. Vincent's Health Network. Uh, like just, yeah, could you give us a, you know, what you do there? How have you, like, yeah, what's your like favourite? Crazy rundown. Yeah, I'd love to hear all of it. Uh, it's very busy. So, um it, it's a big, it's a big network. So it's a hospital, the main hospital, which is sort of, you know, I think it's about twelve floors. There's the O'Brien Centre, which is our mental health unit. There's a palliative care and rehab across the road. There's a St Joseph's Joseph's Hospital in Auburn, and we've also got Parkley Correctional Centre. And we're talking about St Vincent Hospital in Australia, in Sydney, for our podcast listeners that are international. And if you can just explain where the other two facilities are, I think they're just a little bit outside of the CBD of Sydney. Is that right? Yeah, that, well, all those places are pretty much around the same area in Darlinghurst, which is right in this metro centre of Sydney. And then out in the southwest suburbs, uh, there's another hospital, the St Joseph's, and then Parkley Correctional Centre is also in the in the sort of southwest region as well. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know you did the correction centre as well. That's very interesting. Mm, mm. So for me, it's like it's so many different physical spaces, but then so many different, should we say, audiences, you know, different um 
needs and sort of ways of understanding what art can do in these different spaces and how it can support different communities. So that's, that's I guess, at the core of what we're doing at St Vincent's Health Network is trying to utilise arts as a means to um, create patient um, confidence in the system and to also make people invite people to feel culturally safe uh, or try to create culturally safe places for people. And I guess what we, we can, I can do that confidently because I know that the hospital has incredible policies around supporting vulnerable populations and, and creating equity in society. So that's why I guess what I'm saying before about that, that light bulb moment, it's really wonderful working in a place that actually, you know, it's, it's part of their whole mission is, is to make the world a better place, if you like. Um, so with the, with the network, we've got an amazing collection, about a 1,000 or so pieces that have been collected over the last 17 years by an art committee. And there's temporary exhibitions in different spaces across, across the hospital. We do special projects to try and um, bring artists into the hospital and do things that are, will, I guess, create more therapeutic spaces like murals and uh, different, different residencies. And then we're just about to start a new patient experience program, which is bringing in arts engagement workshops and an art trolley so that we can have spaces where people can leave the ward and go and engage in arts practices or um, or bed to bed, a trolley that will go bed to bed. Oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah, packaged up. So it's happening in a few different um, hospital spaces and all the research shows how beneficial it is. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it's not art therapy. And I've got to really say that it's interesting that people get confused about Art therapy is a, a very special profession, you know, that you have to do a particular master's in art therapy and you usually have clinical outcomes that you want to achieve. And we're not doing art classes. We're not trying to extend people's watercolour or acrylic techniques. It's, so, it's that space in the middle where it's, I guess it's diversional therapy, you could call it. Diversional in a sense therapy. of trying to create, yeah, trying to create spaces for people to, to make things, you know, it's a little bit of entertainment, it's a little bit of um, getting through boredom. But what we also know when it's really done well, when it's done by really good socially engaged contemporary art facilitators, that you can actually allow people to have spaces where they um, work through some aspects of their journey, their health journey, without probably even us trying to do it. You know, it can be a really um, beneficial space for people to process information. We're often going through some of the most traumatic and stressful experiences of their lives. Like very, very rarely we go to a hospital with a lot of joy and calm, you know, it's usually pretty anxiety um, inducing. That's right. That's exactly right. And I mean, is there just one, like, is there one of you and then have you got like a whole team? Because I mean, if you're, it's, it sounds like you've got a, a really big role <laughs> and I'm sure everybody's really it's, interested. Yeah, in I that. wish, <laughs> I wish. No, um, I started two and a half years ago and it's the first time they've had a curator um, in the hospital and it's just, just me running across those places. So I have to run pretty fast. Um, but we are bringing in a facilitator uh, shortly to run the trolley program with me. Okay, wonderful. I mean, that, and that must, I mean, you must be really like on resources, but are you tracking this as well to go back to the committee or, and to say, hey, we need more people? Like, because I suppose this is the thing about art. Like when I saw that you're the art curator there, I was like, wow, what a fascinating role because I, I really do believe that art can transform and, and, and to support and help you out of these sort of moments. Or, you know, as you said, or even if it's just a bit of boredom, like my, my son's got really bad asthma, so I've been in hospital like so many times and I would have loved to have a little art trolley come by and 
just, you know, draw something rather than just looking at your screen the whole time. So uh, that's, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I love that, that what you're doing within um, St. Vincent's. And I'd love to, are you allowed to come and have a look around or is it not just like that? No, no, you can actually, because because the majority of our spaces are public walls for people to walk around, it's it's considered a public art gallery. Um, so, yeah, no, people are, are, can come in and look at the, the major spaces where there's always temporary exhibitions. We have great shows from local artists and local institutions around us. We're really fortunate that we're right in the middle of two major art schools in Sydney, the National Art School and the University of New South Wales Art and Design. So that is a great benefit for me because I get to access a lot of art from those people. But then we have just this incredible collection. So, yeah, people can come in and have a look. And in terms of you're mentioning um, the committee, so I do have a, a, a new committee we've created when I started, and that's really about governance more than anything else. But the role, um, yeah, we would like to have more resources, but we're, we're donor-funded. So everything is sort of, uh, we had a one year where we are funded, then we've got a bit more, we've got an extra little envelope of money to, st- to start this patient experience, the trolley program. And we're hoping that from that we'll be able to prove prove efficacy and get some research behind it to hopefully bring some more donors on board. Yeah, lovely. And tell me about what what, gov, what does governance mean to you? So it sounds like there's two art committees. So what does so you've got one committee and then I mean are you are you purchasing the artwork or are you just renting the artwork or are you just is it just a temporary exhibition? Is that what they're making decisions on the the art committees? I'm just sort of curious more than anything. Well, at the moment, there's only one art committee. So we had one in the past that was there for 17 years, and they disbanded. Then I came in and then started a, a new one. Um, and when I say governance, that's, that is around really ensuring that we have proper accession and deaccession processes in place. Um, that's the main core core kind of official role, I guess. Other than that, it's a group of experts both internally to the hospital and externally that I have access to every six weeks to be able to sort of <laughs> tell them how, how stressed out I am, but also to get their, their incredible conversational feedback. You know, it's wonderful when you get a group of people together that really know what they're talking about and you just start talking. It, it's incredible how supportive and inspiring and, you know, that can be for me because, as I said, I'm working alone in this big space and trying to trying to implement um, arts programs in a non-art sector institution can be it's a it's a you have to be pretty I don't know what am I trying to say you have to be quite tenacious and it, it can be quite a lonely kind of role so it is really good to have that support from them in terms of collecting it really only depends whether we have funds available to us and and that just depends on particular um, bequests that people might make so we really don't have a lot of money for purchasing okay thank you for for sharing that I understand about being lonely sometimes being an entrepreneur it is you know we I work a lot with a lot of corporate clients and especially in that art journey but it's um yeah it's it's I I, I when you said that I was like yes I I understand well it's interesting isn't it? the other side of the coin sorry I was just say the other side of the coin is you're really autonomous like it's really quite fun being autonomous and being able to set things up and have vision and just implement implement your vision. That's right. And then you're also the the main one. And I call that actually a creative pioneer uh, within, I say, within an organisation. If you've got someone that loves art and you're really pushing the art agenda, I call them creative pioneers because sometimes I work, I do work with organisations and they'll, I'll be working with someone within or, or the organisation that actually doesn't really like art. So one of the things I always say is, uh, and it was a, probably a light bulb moment for me, is have someone that loves art in your organisation because 
because there will be somebody in your organisation that actually really does love art or their parents were an artist or they practised, they were in a, you know, they, they, they used to play the cello or something like that. So they'll have some affinity to that creative in, in, in creative sector basically. So, and I think that's, yeah, that's good. there's good and bad ways of being a creative pioneer. It's, you know, you're autonomous and you get to do what you also like, but then on the other side it can be also lonely because being a pioneer and pushing through is, is, is sometimes, um, you know, difficult. Yeah, so from one creative pioneer to another. (laughs) (laughs) But it is interesting what you're saying about finding your advocates. It's so important to find your advocates within an organisation and not to to try and push against people that aren't interested because people have a right not to be interested. People have a right to be totally, uh, uh, you know, blinkered into their particular area of work and not want to engage with what you're doing. Um, So you just need to find the advocates and just work with them while you can build up that education piece. And I did talk a lot about committees um, in my book recently, which I'll, I'll send you a copy. Um, the Within committees I found sometimes we'd have in large organisations where they would actually not, they there were some people that were squawking about the art but then didn't want to come on the committee and they always make these. So I was like, okay, well, everyone needs to come together. If you want to say something, you've got to be on the committee. If there was somebody in that leadership role that I found, I always found that very interesting is they, because art was always one of the things that was so visual and makes such a difference. So if you're running a big project, I'll always find that there'd be more interest in that art side of I don't like it or I do like it. That's that I always found that really um yeah, another light bulb moment for me, for myself, but I put it all in there because I was, you know, the learn the the journey of learning. Having art in your in the hospital foyers, do, do you feel like there is a big benefit uh, to you know to the people that are coming in there? Do you find that um, that you get feedback from it, or what do you think the benefits are to having art artwork in your foyers at the at the hospital? Oh, I think there are so many benefits and I do get lots of really, really positive feedback from, from both staff and patients. Uh, the main thing that I think is really important is to ensure that you have um, representation of your clients on the walls, especially if they're coming from um, vulnerable or minority groups within the community. Um, in Australia, the first thing that we have as soon as you enter the space foundational is having uh, First Nations artwork there with the statement of acknowledgement of country. And I put that in the private and the public hospital. We have these beautiful works right front and centre um, because that's the first step. Every step we take in Australia, we're on country. And then as we move through the hospital, there's different things. It's sort of, um, it's a work in progress, but I think it's always really important to have, um, you know, a changing exhibition has works from different cultural groups within the community. Um, and I just think that's really important that throughout someone's journey that they that they have the opportunity to see their cultural themselves reflected back at them in some way. But then saying that the other side of it, I think it's also really important, is just to have um, walls that look um, clean and well-maintained, you know, and that's, you know, you don't want to have broken artworks or posters falling down and all that kind of thing because when you're walking into a health institution, you're you're handing over a physicality of yourself to to people to heal you. You want to be um, confident and inspired by that place that they have the, um, you know, that they're going to look after you. And I think having well-maintained walls is the first start in people just feeling a little bit confident when they walk into an environment. The other side of it is people... um, People also just tell me that they walk around, you know, if they've got a relative there and they're late at night and they're trying to entertain them or, you know, it can be in any situation you're waiting for your partner to go through surgery. People often say that they walk around and just are so um, 
captivated by everything on the walls, the way, the way it's put together. We always try to have sort of history, special interest exhibitions as well. So there's something to read and really engage your mind. So it's a chance for people just to engage with something beyond the kind of the the, the monotony of the ward. Mm, that's fair. I love I love how you've responded to that. I mean, what the, one of my next questions was: What is your approach to curating art in the hospital space? And you mentioned the history. How do you actually curate then? Obviously, you mentioned the multiculturalism and country. Is there anything else that you're sort of looking at, or you, or, or how you curate in 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 a hospital? Like, is there any anything that you're really exploring at the moment? Uh, I think I think it's just what you said: ensuring that um, we know who our our most um, uh, I guess common groups are. I don't say that's not the right word, but the the groups that come to the hospital the most, or our most um, vulnerable groups as well, where we see one of the highest um, instances of people experiencing homelessness in our ED, and so that's a really big part of our community as well. Um, so it's really that's the main thing to ensure. I sort of hate to say tick a box, but it is almost. You want to. I just want to make sure that all these groups that I have in my list are kind of are represented at some stage throughout the year. That's really important. Um, the hospital was started by the Sisters of Charity and the mission um, and that history is so important to, to people within the hospital. It's a driving force. So that's why we often have those history shows to kind of show the development and the stories of these incredible pioneering women. There we go, more pioneering women in our lives. Um, that's the main thing. And then, honestly, the practicality of being in a hospital, you don't have much liberty to sort of do beautiful research curatorial projects or anything like that. It's it's really about where things are safe, where, um, you know, I have some really large artworks. There's only one wall in the whole hospital that those things can go on. So there's no there's no curatorial thought there besides that they'll fit and that's the only place that they'll fit and be safe. And sometimes that's just reality of working in a space that's not at all set up to, to have arts as a primary practice and support that. And you've just got to be adaptable. It sounds like it. Well, look, thank you. Um, I, I would also like to, you know, do you think it's possible, uh, you know, for our listeners to build towards a light bulb moment? I mean, do you have any advice for our listeners of you know, the ideas and creativities of aha moments or light bulb moments? I, whenever I've had a really big moment that's been fundamentally my understanding of who I am and how I exist on the planet has often been when I've really um, deep dived into something. Something's interested me. And and I've you know like the medieval and Renaissance art I've really I deep dived into that because I have no choice I was a tour guide and needed some background information, um, and I think that's the thing you've got to just follow your interests and really embrace them. And when you embrace what feels right, you'll find out something amazing along the way. Even if it's not a light bulb moment, just research in and of itself is a, is a joy and a privilege. So either way, it'll be good for you. Mm, I love that research, and I, I, it's, you're right about it. it's like you've got that curious gene as well. I think a lot of the the everyone we've been uh, had on our podcast, it has been they've been a bit they've been very curious about things and and done that deep dive as well. So I can sort of see these patterns that are coming out in all the, all our uh, recordings the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, but look, thank you so much. Just really, really appreciate your time today and and to learn so much about St Vincent hey, Hospital and your journey. Uh, yes, yeah, so thank you so much. Really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to The Lightbulb Moment, where creatives shed light on their career-defining epiphanies. Don't forget to like and share this episode and leave a review if you love what we do. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
or LinkedIn at artpharmacy or sugarglider.digital and watch your space for more tips from Creative Pioneers.